following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Thank you, Autumn. Thank you, band, and thank all of you for being here. Um, boy, I just... I love being here with you guys, and... Um, seems like every week there's something, I've been here a long time, <laughs> uh, it seems like every week there's something new that, that strikes me a different way and um, it reminds me what a blessing it is to be in community with this particular group of people. And uh, the fact that you all minister to each other aside from me being here, and that you minister to me is a great, um, that's a great indication of, of what I think is the way we are supposed to live in faith together, the way we are supposed to live into our calling as Christians, um, and that, that great Protestant doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Um, today's Today's story is one that you probably uh, have heard before. It doesn't matter if you've been in church or not. I bet you have heard the story. And um, if you haven't heard the story itself, you probably have heard the title of the story, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, and uh, you know, we had a, a Pearl Jam song in worship a few minutes ago, <laughs> probably for the first time. Uh, even for us, that's probably a first and um, Mike told me he was going to do that, and I was like, oh, I trust you. Um, and I, now, I mean, there's a reminder of why I do trust Mike and, and other people's ability to, to choose songs that, although they're not intended for use in worship by their original authors, I'm pretty sure, um, <laughs> they can sometimes be such a great fit. I mean, I've heard that, I mean, I'm... I was in high school in 1991, guys. I heard that song, I've heard that song a billion times, but I've never heard it in that way. <laughs> so, well, um, today's passage is, is from Luke 15, and... Uh, you can grab it in the Bible if you'd like, but but today particularly, maybe you'd like to maybe maybe you want to consider at least um, following along with your ears more than with your eyes, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But first, I want to set up the the main portion of the passage, which is verses eleven through uh, thirty-two, with this little introductory thing, verses one through three. So one through three says this: Now all the tax collectors and sinners. We're coming near to listen to him, being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And then our text breaks for the next several verses. But there's actually two parables in between the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Those are not our concern today, but they are there in between. And what I'd like to do is jump ahead to verse 11, and uh, in keeping with this meditative theme that we've had so far this morning, I want, to, I want us to read this in an Ignatian reading kind of way. Now, if you haven't heard of that before, that's okay. There's no experience necessary to, to do this. I'll, I'll explain it to you, and it's 
pretty simple. But an Ignatian reading means that it's, it's in the style and form of St. Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the uh, Society of Jesus, better known as the Jesuits, right? And uh, this, is, this, this process of reading is, is based on, on his approach to spiritual formation and reflection. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Jesuits and, and, of course, many other s- sectors of Christianity have this great ability to integrate prayer with the reading of the Bible. And I think our tendency is usually to disintegrate them, to separate them, but... Um, for, for a lot of our history as Christians, that was kind of seen as a little strange. So th- these two things really should go together. And this is one way, we've done Lectio Divina recently, that's another really great way to do it, but this is, an, this is one way to combine reading the text of the Bible with prayer. And so a- as I read the passage, first of all, I encourage you to, to be in that same kind of posture that Autumn was uh, inviting you to for our meditative prayer a minute ago, Something comfortable and aware of, uh, you know, acknowledging that you're awake on the the day after we lost an hour of sleep. Um, And now normally we would, during Lent, stand for the the reading of the gospel. Today I'm going to ask you to stay seated. And here are the keys to an Ignatian reading. Basically, it's, uh, it's you try to engage your imagination and your, imagine the use of your senses. And so you want to, as I'm reading the story, picture the scene, and not just picture it with, with your mind's eye, but um, hear it with your mind's ear, and smell it with your mind's nose, and touch it with your mind's hands. And um, There's probably other senses that I'm forgetting, but taste. Yes, there, there will be some tasting in this passage, too. Thank you, Grant. By the way, didn't Grant do a great job reading scripture this morning? Thank you for doing that, bud. Um, So you're going to let your imagination fill in the blanks of the story a little bit, if you will. Let the scene come alive. Who is there? Who do you see? Where, if you are in the scene, where are you standing? What's your perspective? What's happening? What are the sounds and smells and, and actions? How does this story make you feel to be a witness to it? Does it make sense? So I'll read the text. You put yourself there. If you'd like to close your eyes, that can sometimes be helpful for this kind of thing. But, but whatever works for you. And I would encourage, especially those of you who've heard this story a lot of times, like as many times as I've heard that Pearl Jam song, um, uh, I'd, I'd like you to try to, try to engage it with, with a fresh spirit this morning. And this is the parable that Jesus told. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. hope that you had an experience, as I did, with that text that was uh, different from what you've had before and, and maybe deeper. I'd like to ask a question that, a question that is commonly asked about this story, which is this. Who is this story really about? Now, at first... I thought that the story was about the younger son. He's certainly the most movie-worthy character in the story, isn't he? If you were making a movie, it would center on his experience. He has a very uh, interesting and clear, dramatic arc. And after all, the story is typically named after him, the parable of the prodigal son. By the way, what does prodigal mean? For a long time, I thought it just meant the one who returned, because I figured it was based on this story, but it actually means extravagantly wasteful. What a great word. So I thought it was about the son, 
the, the, the younger son, the prodigal son. And then I started to think, and I, I came to the realization that this story is really about the older son. Now, his story is much more subtle. It doesn't stand out as much. You might not make a movie about his story. There's, there's hardly any dramatic arc in his story at all, really. Now, sometimes I wonder if that was part of the problem for him. Not just that he resented his brother uh, uh, for being away and then coming back and being returned to good graces with his father, but also that he was jealous of his brother's experiences, of the fun that his brother must have had at first. And by the way, if anybody tries to explain this cosmic reality that we live in by, by, and, and doesn't include the fact that, that blowing off responsibility and wasting money and uh, living in a dissolute way. <laughs> Look that one up when you get home. If anybody tries to tell the story of the universe and our experience with God and, and does not admit that, that that kind of thing is fun for a time, they are lying to you. And I think that is one of the most dangerous and deadly lies that, that Christians tell each other, especially Christian parents tell their children, and sometimes pastors tell their flocks, and youth pastors tell teenagers. You know, um, it's a lie. <laughs> now, what's not a lie is that that path leads to destruction, but it's a lie that it instantly leads there. So anyway, the, the older brother doesn't have as interesting a story, and I think that's part of his problem. Um, but truthfully, um, given the, for me personally, the, the life that I happen to lead as a, you know, a pretty um, I, it's the life that I happen to lead mirrors the, the older brother's story more than the younger brother's story. I, didn't, I did not test the waters too much, personally. What? I didn't inhale. <laughs> no, I actually wrote X's on my hands in, magic, in, a, in permanent marker. If you know what that means, that's a real deep cut. So the story, I think, I came to think was about the older brother. But you know what? I think that both of those interpretations, the interpretation that the story is about the younger son and the interpretation that the story is about the older son, I think both of those interpretations are rooted in a kind of self-centeredness. I don't mean like selfishness. Sometimes those, use, those are used synonymously, but they're really not. What I mean is it's the kind of interpretation you make when you think that every protagonist in every story is you. <laughs> that anytime you watch a movie or a play or read a novel, the, the most worthwhile character is the one that, that most represents you. That's who the story is really about, right? And I think that might have something to do with my transition in thinking that the story is about the, the younger son to thinking that the story is about the older son because I do identify with the older son a little bit more. Which is not to say that all of you do. 
But that kind of interpretation, that, that a story's worthwhileness and a character's worthiness is, is based on how much you can personally relate to that particular person, that kind of interpretation is, is centered on yourself. That's what I mean by saying it is self-centered. Because you know who the story is really about? You know the character in this story that has a quality that is actually quite important to us precisely because it doesn't mirror our own nature? A quality that I think is actually in the end, in fact, utterly crucial to us? I think this story is about the father. This is a story about a father whose love is above everything and anything that either son could understand or imagine. This is a story about a father who's capable of loving every protagonist in every story, any movie or novel or play. His father, in fact, also happens to love the antagonist. He loves the villain in every story. This father offers a love, it says in Ephesians 3, with breadth and length and height and depth so great that it washes over and drowns out not only the rebellious son's disobedience and unfaithfulness, but also the older brother's jealousy and anger and bitterness. This love so deep and wide, if grace, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking, like that song said. This is a story about a father who gently refuses the language of divisiveness. Did you notice that the, the older brother, when he came out, how he referred to his younger brother? What did he call him? This son of yours. And the father replaces it with the language of reconciliation. He said in reply, Rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. The father so desperately wants to be in right relationship, that Hebrew word of shalom just means in right relationship, with his children sons and daughters, that he gives everything. He sacrifices the prize of his herd to prepare a feast, a feast that both sons are invited to partake in. The jealous one and the one who has already spent everything he's worth and and a lot of what his father was worth in an effort to reject that relationship to be outside of shalom with his father. See, the story is not about the sons. And as we move to an interpretation and an application for ourselves, it's not about the sons and the daughters. It's not about us. We are not at the center of this cosmic reality, this universe. The story is about the Father and His great love for us. Oh, how He loves us. But love is not violent. Come back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for Him. 
You can barely see your picture in that screen. You older sons, you're the ones hiding in the back with the scowl on your face. I'm afraid that your task is the harder one. So you feel you don't have any need to humble yourself before the father. The younger son was quite clear about where he stood. But you feel like you have nothing to repent of, perhaps. But it is precisely that feeling, that attitude, that you do need to repent of. That is your sin. You did not squander your inheritance with prostitutes. You hoarded it and didn't want to share it with your brothers and sisters. The verse after 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 10, not so beautiful and not so famous, says, after offering the beautiful chance at forgiveness, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. hope that it is true that as we've looked at these sons, these children of the Father, you have been able fairly easily to categorize yourself as one or the other. Sometimes we're both, but most of the time we're one or the other. And the feast was prepared for the younger son in celebration of his return to the Father. But the whole household was invited, including the older son. So we talk about the sacrifice of Christ as being offered for the forgiveness of sins, and I think most of the time we apply that to people who are still outside the family or to people who have intentionally walked away and who need to come back. So I think sometimes when we come to the table of the Lord, it is fairly routine and think it's, uh, it's like the spiritual oil change that, uh, you know, probably do it once in a while. There's nothing really wrong but you, have, you should do it. You kind of need grace. But it's really good we have it for those other people, those younger sons and daughters. Today, I want to remind you that it is sometimes your tendency, if you are one of those older sons, to, to push away from the feast that your father has prepared for you, has invited you to table is open for all sons and daughters of the Father. There is no requirement to have reached a certain level on the spiritual scale uh, or earned a certain merit badge of holiness. The only requirement is that you recognize that you are a son or a daughter of this father who loves us so much and you recognize your need for his love and you recognize your particular way of wanting to reject it 
Once you've figured that out, then I invite you to come to the table and receive the bread and the wine or juice as the food for your souls. Christ's body broken for you, his blood shed for you, children of God. And while we're doing that, of course, we'll continue to sing and worship him together. And uh, our prayer team will be present in the corner of the sanctuary here if you'd like personalized prayer for something with somebody. That's offered to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your great love for those of us who are the younger sons and daughters who have rejected you outright, have lived a dissolute life, have squandered that which you've given us, but have realized that we need to return to you, confess to you. Thank you for the beautiful reassurance that we enter your house again, not just as slaves, which would be good enough, but as your son and your daughter. And we thank you for your great love for us, those of us who are like the older son, who resent the 11th hour repentance that we see around us, who sometimes, if we're being honest, wish that we could keep our inheritance and your love all to ourselves, that at the very least we ought to be able to decide when and who and how can come to your feast. Forgive us of that sin, we pray, O Lord. May your Spirit now invite all of us to the feast that Jesus prepared for us, the sacrifice presented and offered as we return to the love of our great Father. We pray these things in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our table is open. Continue to worship him as you sense the Spirit's leading. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.